Hi everyone. This episode we spoke to Kira Newman, the managing editor of Greater Good Science Centre, which provides science-based insight to provide people with the tools to build more meaningful lives. Our conversation touched on a number of issues, including Kira's work in loneliness, her work setting up Happy Cafe, and the Year of Happy. If you want to find more about Kira and Greater Good work, check out the show notes. I really hope you enjoy this episode, and if you do, please give us a rating and a review on iTunes. Hi Kira, how are you? Great, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm very well, thanks. Um, to start off with, we always ask what your kind of relationship, both personally and professionally, is with, with mental health. Sure, so um, I'm the managing editor of Greater Good Magazine at the Greater Good Science Center, and um, we cover the science of social and emotional well-being. So um, I've been, I guess, professionally in this field for about four years, um, reading and learning about all the latest science and sharing it with our readers. But um, personally, it's really been part of my life um, for as long as I can remember. Um, you know, I've, I grew up sort of having these great conversations with my dad about the meaning of life and uh, goals and, and things like that. And, um, you know, even when I was working in other fields, I would uh, be reading books and trying to, um, improve myself. I've, I'm, I just, I love, uh, learning things about myself and about the mind and about relationships and how they work. Um, so I feel really lucky to actually be in the field, uh, now and, and learning and sharing with, with other people. That's really cool. So what, what, what were kind of your favorite books that you read in this kind of field? Oh, it's a great question. Um, there's so many. I mean, there are, um, you know, the, I guess, pivotal ones or foundational ones in the science of happiness, one of which is um, The Myths of Happiness by Sonia Lubomirsky. And it goes into um, all these ideas that we have about what happiness is and what will bring us happiness, um, whether that's, you know, achieving certain career goals or financial goals or, um, things like that. And it turns out that a lot of these things are actually not, not true, not, not validated by the research and that, uh, different things will bring us happiness, like, um, our mental habits, um, the things we do on a daily basis, the little things and practices, um, and that kind of, that, that shifted, I think my understanding of what I could personally do in my own life to, uh, feel feel better feel more positive yeah and I suppose that kind of links to what you do now working at greater good and do you want to just um give an overview of what they do um what your kind of role is there sure um so we're a nonprofit based at UC Berkeley um and we kind of think of ourselves as a conduit between researchers and the public so uh, we share a lot of this new research in, in positive psychology. So that's, you know, topics like mindfulness, gratitude, forgiveness, empathy, compassion. Um, and we share them with uh, people through uh, events, through courses and programs, um, and also through Greater Good Magazine, which is where I do most of my work. 
Uh, we publish daily articles about um, about this research and uh, you know practical pieces as well as sort of more abstract theoretical pieces about changing our understanding of what what well-being is and what are the keys to well-being yeah that must be really inspiring to work in a place like that mm-hmm. um, and do you use many of the things that you write about or what what, what are kind of your your favorite things that you've got to write about and learn about while you've been there i've really enjoyed you know i i I dug into the the research on loneliness recently and um that was kind of a an important topic for me because i had spent about four years as a remote worker traveling around the world traveling um, a lot in southeast asia and Europe, uh, spending a few months in each city. Um, so it was kind of a lonely experience for me, although I didn't, I don't think I, I felt it to, to a great extent during the travels because, it, you know, it's so exciting. There's lots to do. There's new things and new foods. But um, after I sort of got back and settled in Toronto, which is where I live now, um, I, I felt lonely and I started thinking about loneliness um, and what it means and, and uh, me sort of why I had got to this situation in my life where I was um, kind of disconnected from a lot of, uh, you know, friends having moved to a new city. Um, so I had, a, yeah, I had a really interesting time kind of learning about the science of loneliness and finding out um, how... It's very much a subjective experience. It's not necessarily about how many friends you have or how much time you spend with them. It really has to do with how you think about the kind of connection you want in your life um, and whether you're getting that and how you think about yourself, whether you're worthy of connection uh, or you're sort of very self-critical when you're around people. Um so uh, luckily, you know, I've, I've been here for about three years now, developed a good uh, network. Um, but uh, I think it's obviously it's a big issue these days in a lot of places. Um, technology may play a role in that, um, but it's something that lots of people face. And um, it was interesting to, to find out uh, different ways to work with it yeah what what kind of are the other ways that people that people work with it in the scientific field um you know i think as i as i kind of alluded to one of the ways is a self-compassion practice um something they found about loneliness is that it can change the way you uh interpret social interactions you have so maybe i'm lonely and um you know you and i meet up we have you know we have a nice chat um, and I go away thinking, oh, no, like, what did I say? Um, I don't think he really liked me. He wasn't smiling that much um, because loneliness sort of colors the, the, your cognition. Um, but I think self-compassion, which is a great practice um, sort of in any context outside of loneliness as well, but in this context can help you recognize um you know, so self-compassion, not being self-critical, um, recognizing that sort of everyone struggles in life and treating yourself with kindness. So, you know, after that kind of interaction, I could think, well, you know, maybe he was he wasn't having a good day. It's not, not necessarily about me. Um, 
and uh, just sort of not judging, not judging myself as harshly. Uh, I think that's one of the sort of counterintuitive but but key practices for loneliness. Yeah, and is it about kind of being able to accept being by yourself or becoming um, becoming better at being by yourself, not having kind of the fear of missing out and stuff like that? Hmm. Yeah, I think you know, there's loneliness and there's aloneness, and those aren't the same, right? And uh, uh, a lot of people get great enjoyment out of solitary time and time for reflection, and that's not necessarily something that uh, we have a lot of in our in our modern life. Um, so I think that um, that is that that's part of it as well. Maybe you heard of that um, kind of funny study where people chose to get an electric shock rather than be alone with their thoughts for a few minutes. Okay, um, I hadn't heard of that. Can you just yeah. go, in, is there a bit more detail on that? Uh, let me see if I can recall. Um, it was an experimental study and um, people were you know, presented with a choice of different ways to spend their time and um, I, I don't remember exactly all the details, but I think it sort of shows that um, uh, we we don't spend a lot of time in our own heads, and sometimes it can be a scary place to be, or or, or people can be afraid of where their thoughts will take them. Um, and uh, there's increasingly lots of ways to find distractions these days. So um, learning how to sit with yourself, sit with your thoughts. Uh, is important and that's something of course mindfulness um helps a lot with that yeah that's really interesting and has it been a kind of positive for the i suppose the scientists and researchers that you're working with that um that you're able to kind of disseminate their work into a into a into an area they they might not be able to normally have access to i think so um part of it is I don't know how many scientific papers you've read, but um, uh, the you know there's a big difference between writing for a scientific audience and write, writing for a mainstream audience. So um, you know that's part of uh, the work that I do is helping the scientists kind of translate um, their work uh, for people who want to apply it in their everyday lives and. Um, you know, often that'll mean kind of drawing out the practical implications or putting it in terms of problems that people have, uh, problems that people are facing. Um, and I think that, that it, it ends up being fairly meaningful to know that um, this work that you're doing, maybe alone in a laboratory or, or sort of the data that you're pouring over actually ends up um, in the hands of people who, who really want it and really appreciate it. Yeah, I think it's really important that that the work that gets done in labs and universities is kind of translatable to the general public, otherwise you kind of have to wonder uh, what the point of it really is if it can't be transferred onto the public and being useful there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Totally, and there's so much, I mean, there's so much work being done, um, so many interesting studies coming out. I don't think the problem is so much lack of research as lack of, you know, pass pass through to the public kind of. Yeah. And one of the other projects that you that I've seen you've done, which is really interesting, was um the kind of Year of Happy project. Um 
can you just explain a bit about what that was um why you started it and and the kind of success of it sure um so you know interestingly it started with my experience with a greater good course um we we run an online course on edX called the science of happiness and i was um part of the first group of students that took that course um and it was you know it's a about a two-month course uh, that goes over some of the basics of uh, well-being and happiness science. And after I took that, you know, I found myself, I loved it. It was such a wonderful, um, you know, systematic way to kind of get the foundations of the practices and skills that, you know, contribute to well-being, such as gratitude and empathy, um, kindness and forgiveness and mindfulness. And um, I really just wanted to uh, learn more and and share more, I think, with people. So uh, I designed a program called The Year of Happy, which was a 12-month course. Each month was focused on a different theme uh, or a different sort of well-being skill. So we covered a lot of the ones I just mentioned, as well as things like um, flow and setting goals uh, and resilience and, um, invited people to sign up for this and it would just be a free course. They would get an email every week in their inbox with some new content to read, you know, very much a self-directed thing. And, um, I was, I sort of didn't know what was going to come of it, uh, when I started it, but, um, I was really, really happy to, to have a couple thousand people sign up for, uh, the first year, um, that was great. And, um, you know, every week spend, they would spend about an hour reading this content, watching some videos that I linked to, I sort of curated, um, videos and talks from around the internet for each topic. Um, and I think people really enjoyed it. You know, I, it, it's hard to, there's, as I said, there's so much research out there. There's a million self-help books, right? A million um, books on, on this science. So I think that having the structure um, of a sort of weekly weekly dose of information and learning um, what was helpful and digestible while at the same time adding up to a great, a great body of knowledge. Yeah, and that's what was the kind of um, reaction to it after they'd finished? Did people find it? helpful I suppose yeah um you know we have a we have a Facebook group of people who join the course and there's still people who are uh who are wanting to be added which is great I'm not sort of actively running it right now but the content is all out there it's free um on the website for people to consume and um I think it can you know people have said it sort of changes the way that they think about um about their lives, about the things that are going on and their relationships. Um, and I think that's, that's important. It's not just, um, consuming this abstract content, but also taking the time to figure out how it integrates into your life. And if you don't, if you don't develop sort of new habits or practices, um, it's easy to, to forget about great things that you learn. Yeah. So it was a kind of, quite a holistic way of looking at happiness mm-hmm. yeah I think that's true and um what were the kind of um the most popular 
parts of the course? You know, I think one of the most popular parts was the section on resilience, um, which, you know, is interesting. This is the happiness course, but uh, we have a month about uh, how to deal with struggles and when things aren't going so well in life. And um, that's something that we've seen at Greater Good as well, where, um, you know, when we when we target problems that people are having, um, you know, how to deal with conflict in your relationship or, um, you know, what to do when you're feeling, I don't know, pessimistic or self-critical, uh, those topics really resonate with people. Um, and I think it contrasts a bit with some of the sort of fluffy, smiley approach to happiness that you might see in other other places. Um, it recognizes that, you know, the goal is not to be bubbly and joyful every second of every day. And that's, that's really not possible for human beings that we have a wide range of emotions and um, talking about the tough times, uh, I think reminds people that they're not alone and, and everyone goes through things. That's really cool. So it's kind of looking at it from um, the other side of the coin, I suppose, thinking mm-hmm. that, you know, to be happy, sometimes you have to kind of accept the bad things that sometimes or inevitably happen to you in your life absolutely yeah I don't think you can I don't think you can really have one without the other um that's sort of the path to uh self-criticism and the repression and things like that I think yeah and the other project that I saw that looked really interesting was the happy cafe um and I know you don't run that anymore but um can you just talk us through that and what the purpose of it was and how it came about? And... Sure. Um, so I spent a, a summer in Toronto before I actually moved here permanently. And, you know, I had a couple of motivations for starting this, but one of them was definitely that I wanted to meet like-minded people and uh, wasn't really sure where to do that. So I started a meetup group called Cafe Happy and Every month we would meet at a different cafe. Cafes happen to be a um, sort of passion of mine. I love coffee and I love sort of hanging out in these great environments and chatting with people over a nice latte. Um, So every month we would meet and we would have a different topic uh, that I would would choose, you know, come up with a couple of discussion questions um, and people would show up and share and uh, we try to figure, you know, figure out some of these thorny topics. So I think, you know, we talked about um, a lot of the topics that you and I have been talking about today, but technology and self-compassion and relationships. And um, so I started that one summer, um, left Toronto, but it actually kept going. I found some people who were um kindly willing to host it while I was away and then when I came back I ran it for another year or so um and it was great you know we had we would have about five to ten twelve people each time um which was nice to have sort of a, a fairly intimate conversation and um probably what impressed me the most I think was how willing people are to share you know in a lot of cases it was a group of strangers and all different ages um and 
you know, some of the people who came were definitely having their own struggles, as we were talking about, and um, people would share and, and other people would, um, you know, offer support and, and thoughts and advice. Uh, so it was a nice, it was a nice space. Yeah, that's fascinating. And I suppose one of the big criticisms of technology is the idea that, you know, we're more connected than we ever are, but we're also like less connected um, and less sociable. And I think our or my generation, we've kind of, we don't have things like um, like book clubs. We kind of take for advantage that we can contact anyone we mm. want at any time. And it means maybe that we don't meet up mm. in person as much where you, where you kind of have those more honest and candid conversations and something like the, the mm. happy cafe that, that, kind of enables those conversations I suppose sure and I mean you know it's it wouldn't be possible without technology right it was it was uh, on meetup.com and a lot of the um meetup does meetup.com does wonderful promotion so it would share this with people in Toronto who were interested in happiness um so uh yeah I you know I've, I've we've done some a lot of writing about technology recently and it's, I don't think it's so black and white, you know, there's good and bad uses of it. And, and, and there's ways that technology really enables a lot of connections that weren't possible before. Yeah, what, what would be your advice to to someone using technology and, and kind of staying um, healthy and happy around using it? What kind of tips would you would you give? Hmm. I think that we often have a good understanding of when our usage is say serving our interests and when our usage is not so um you know when it feels compulsive when it feels um like you're procrastinating on things you should be doing i mean we kind of know that um that's the time when you're not serving your own well-being by scrolling through Instagram or whatever the case is um, versus, you know, sending messages to a friend to schedule a, a meetup with them. Of course, that's a nice um, sort of helpful way to use technology. Um, in terms of tips, um, I guess I, I personally um, use you know, sort of implement some rules for myself so that I don't go overboard. Um, I actually, I quit Netflix a while ago, um, or at least uh, Netflix, watching Netflix alone, because I realized, uh, you know, I have, I have such a desire to binge watch and, and keep watching things that I would, you know, spend hours on this that I, I didn't really feel great after. So for me, um, sort of just quitting I don't watch by myself um that works so well I got I get so much more reading done which is important to me and I enjoy um you know I, I close my work email tab at the end of the day um which sort of helps me uh relax and detach from from work um so I think you know being mindful about your use uh can help a lot um and there and there's even sort of ways to track it right i think for on iphones now um you sort of automatically get these reports of your screen time and even that can be quite illuminating uh, i think especially those ones that tell you 
how many times you've opened and closed uh, certain apps and you kind of realise that you just literally open it out of force of habit and scroll yeah. through it yeah. and you're not really paying attention to it mm-hmm. at all. Nice. Yeah, to think, you know, when you grab your phone, um, why why are you grabbing it? Is it just because you're bored and you don't even know what you're going to do on it? You're just going to sort of, yeah, open some, some app because you are used to doing that or do you actually have a purpose to in using the technology at that moment? Yeah. Um, and just to kind of start to bring things to a close, um, what does your, what do you, we kind of touched on it just then, but what do you kind of personally do to keep yourself happy and healthy? I think lately one of the things that I've, I've realized is helpful is uh, writing and journaling. So um, particularly in those, those tough moments, um, it's easy to, to ruminate on, on whatever is going wrong, whatever fight you just had or, or whatever um, horrible future you're imagining. And I find that uh, sitting down to write for just 10 or 15 minutes to get things down on paper um, really helps. And there's some good research about, about this, about a practice called expressive writing. Um, and the idea is, is that, you know, these thoughts are going around in your head, but once you, once you put them down, um, I think your brain sort of feels less of a need to, to go over and over them. And I've definitely found that to be my own experience. So, so is that kind of journaling rather than um, doing something like cognitive behavioral therapy? Um, yeah, so that that's journaling. Although I have, um, I'm I'm very interested in cognitive behavioral therapy. I don't have much um, experience in it, um, but it's. I think you you end up you may end up doing a little bit of it on yourself, uh, starting to kind of reframe what you're feeling or make new connections. Um, it may happen sort of spontaneously as you're writing, but it's not quite as formal as, as CBT. Yeah, and, and do you do it for um, for kind of good times and good things as well as more negative stuff as well? The counterpart for good times would be uh, gratitude journaling, which isn't as, I guess, prolific. I usually don't write for 10 or 15 minutes, but I, I did make a, make a point of starting a gratitude practice a couple years ago where... Um, about every night I will write down three things that I'm grateful for that day. Uh, or, or, you know, it doesn't always feel like perhaps three things I'm grateful for, but just three good things that happened, you know, three, three nice moments that I want to remember or things that make me smile or laugh. Um, and that I think I, I feel it when I'm not, when I'm not practicing that I can, I can tell the difference. Um, and it also generates this wonderful list of, great moments of your life which I am actually really happy to have yeah I think that's a really good practice to have because I've when I was kind of doing CBT I found that one of the issues was that it kind of um, focused quite a lot on deconstructing negative thoughts and emotions Mm. um, which kind of sometimes left you ruminating on them so having something like a a gratitude journal and doing it um, at night just before you go to bed say it's quite mm. a good way to to end the day, I think. Mm-hmm, definitely. Um, and where can we find out more about what you do, um, the stuff that Greater Good does? Uh, everyone can head over to greatergood.berkeley.edu and read our our new content. Sign up for our newsletter to get a weekly weekly digest of what we're working on. And um, yeah, we'd love to have them. 
Brilliant. Kira, that's been really interesting. Thank you. Thank you so much. Hi everyone, hope you enjoyed this episode. Uh, Just a quick reminder that although we may find the stuff we talked about useful, if you're struggling with your mental health, always reach out to your local GP or health professional or contact a charity such as Mind on 0300 303 599. If you need urgent help, please visit A&E or call NHS 111.